This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. Welcome back. It's week three in the National Football League. I'm Dan McNeil, and you're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast, courtesy of the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. And Bet Rivers is jumping today because we have football tonight in America. It's the Steelers and the Browns on the Prime Amazon Prime game, which for me last week, I, I figured out the technology. I, I know how to work remotes now for the Fire Stick, and man, have I been working out the movies on Netflix this week. I think Netflix is here to stay. In case you haven't heard of it, it's good. Uh, I had a jumpy video feed last week for uh, for the Thursday nighters. When they went to replay, I was fine. Everything was great, but I had a little bit of a jumpy screen. And uh, boy, that's not, you, you don't want that name if you're a defensive lineman. Jumpy screen, you don't want to be jumpy on the screen. There was an old pass rusher named Jumpy Gathers years ago for the Falcons and the old Oilers, I think. You don't want jumpy if you're a defensive lineman, but I'm hoping for a better outcome tonight. If not, maybe I'll go to a sports bar because I do love AFC North matchups, and the Browns are a four-point favorite at Bet Rivers tonight over the Steelers. Do what you want in this one, but I would let you know this. In their last eight tries as a favorite against AFC North opponents, the Browns have failed to cover all of them. Eight straight times as a favorite against divisional foes, The Cleveland Browns have come up short. They're laying four against the Steelers. And how quick are the Steelers going to make that switch um, in leadership at the most important position in sports? We're going to have to find out. Mitch Trubisky didn't get a chance to stretch a defense last week. They set him up to fail. Uh, I I thought that was just a terrible game plan by the Steelers in their three-point loss to New England last week. And yes, I had Pittsburgh uh, getting the points. It wound up being a push earlier in the week. It was listed at one and a half or two, and then it went up to three by kick. Lots of chubbies tonight in this game. Nick Chubb tickets are very popular at Bet Rivers right now to score a touchdown at any point, his over-under on rushing yards. And Najee Harris, the second-year running back for the Steelers, is also getting a lot of action because he has prospered against the Browns' defense. It has been a crazy week in Chicago. And, hell, we're in just a Thursday late morning as I get in my studio to put together this podcast today. I have been doing a lot of consuming of sports talk this week because it's football season more than anything. And I am a football fanatic. I I love the shield. I crave the product week after week. And it's more local than I favor 
typically, but I also think I, they're doing their job doing local. I want more national stuff. That's why I listen to Jim Miller on Sirius XM. In the afternoons, his move in the chain show gives me everything I need to know about 31 other teams in the league. But when the Bears lose to the Packers, Chicago goes crazy. And, uh, you know, I didn't have time to to consume any of the reaction when we put Monday's show together, Monday's podcast. My, my goal is to have this out. For those of you who are sc- subscribers, wherever you get it, you should get a notification in the late morning that the podcast has dropped and we're up and ready to roll. I, I We have the show done before morning drive uh, hosts are done with their show. By the time it gets turned around, it's probably right around 11 o'clock. So I, I barely had time to go back and watch some of the first half a second time early Monday morning before I started recording. So I, I had the benefit of not hearing how others were reacting to the Bears' loss to the Packers Sunday night but also um, not getting much of a vibe for how the fans were feeling other than seeing social media. And I don't need too much of it uh, when fans start to call radio shows. And I'll distinguish in a second between listeners and callers because people get the wrong idea when, when guys who are hosts slam the callers. They think it's listeners. It's not. It's callers. That's a very small percentage of the listeners. But I didn't have the benefit of, of having um, consumed lots of locker room and later learned on Monday morning after the show was put to bed what Justin Fields said after the game that ridiculously had a lot of people up in arms. Uh, his point on it mattering more to the team because they put the work in is undeniably true. And anybody who wants to tell you otherwise uh, it's it just ridiculous, and I heard a lot of that throughout the course of the week. First of all, I didn't feel great about my performance on Monday's podcast. Let me make that clear to you. I didn't wrap it up and put a nice little bow on it the way I wanted to in terms of assessing the Bears and Packers. It was my first go-around on the fast turnaround. They don't have a lot of night games this year. They do have one on Thursday night, the 13th of October against the Washington Commanders. And I do plan on doing a Bears post game that week for Friday morning, one of the few occasions when we will drop the show on Fridays instead of Thursdays. But I, I didn't feel my energy level was what it needed to be. And it's not my goal to bounce off the walls as I just stand and do Sermon on the Mount for 35 or 45 minutes. But I thought I lacked energy, and I didn't think I wrapped it up very, very well. I didn't, I didn't reach any, any conclusions. And in some ways, there weren't conclusions to be made because we're wanting to evaluate Justin Fields in year two. And when the offense runs only 41 plays and he winds up passing only 11 times, there were, I think, four or five more pass plays called where he chose the option to run or was sacked, it's difficult to gauge his progress. And you look at a 27 to 10 final score, that doesn't surprise anybody. That's that's what most of us kind of expected from the Bears and Packers. But what is shocking is the way they got to that 27 to 10 finish because the Bears started 
in outstanding fashion offensively. That first drive of the game was was wonderful. They they go 71 yards in seven plays. They do it by running and passing. They never were put in third down. And that's the last we see of that plan of attack the rest of the night. The Bears don't go back to deploying a fullback into again, and he was out there most of the first drive, until late in the third quarter. They abandoned what made them successful. Later, they got back to David Montgomery, but they were chasing, and I'm not so sure how much it mattered at that point. But what's alarming now through two weeks is the Bears have managed all of seven points in the first half. In two first halves, four quarters of football, they have those seven points, the short fields touchdown run against the Packers first drive last week. They have all of nine first downs in these first halves. So you look at Luke Getze and you're wanting you're wanting so badly to to see the Matt Nagy stink removed from this team and yet here we go again. It is easy to feel down about that prospect that you know another season full of watching that team go back into the locker room with nothing or three points on the board in the first half. That was the undoing of Mitch Trubisky when he was here, and it, it, it certainly is the signature on this season up to this point. Now, Sunday when they get the Texans, that's a completely different animal because they're favored in this game, and they should have points going. And I'll tell you how they're going to get those points in, in just a second. But this this overreaction that happens whenever the Bears lose to the Packers, and there's an overreaction when it's Aaron Rodgers, because most people find him to be a D-bag. Most Bears fans can't stand him, and there's even Green Bay fans uh, in recent years who've who've turned on Aaron Rodgers. It's amplified because it's on national TV, and it happens to fall in a week this week when the White Sox crap the bed. And now all of a sudden, the the nastiness is is not being directed at Justin Fields. It's being directed at the White Sox, and it's Tony La Russa, and it's Yasmani Grandal, and it's Jerry Reinsdorf. And they, they're terrible against the Cleveland Guardians this week. I'd rather call them the Indians. The Indians were so much fun to root for in Major League and Major League 2, an underrated sequel, by the way. But I'm hearing more of the meatball callers bring back Girardi or bring in Girardi uh, because he's never been with the White Sox. They want Girardi. They want to get rid of ownership and very seldom is the occasion when a guy who picks up the telephone has something good to contribute to a radio show. I'm sorry. I'm not taking shots at those of you who consume these products. You were what, you know, helped me pay the bills for many years without listeners. There's kind of no reason to do talk radio, but when they pick up the phone and, and just shout and scream and not know how to pronounce the names of the players they're criticizing, it's it's a tough listen for me. And, you know, I need some some levity now and again. And I, I think now and again, that's provided uh, by some of these shows. Parkinson Spiegel this week uh, had a, a comedic actor on board talking about a new project. 
that he's that that's that's fun for me to get away from that. Now they also had Steve Stone on on Wednesday show, and I hear Stone mention near the end of his interview, and he wasn't feeling well Wednesday. He missed the game uh, last night. He says, "I just want those of you who you know follow me on Twitter to to recognize that I didn't put this roster together. I'm not the guy who's responsible." for any of the outcomes of the season, paraphrasing what he said. And it's obvious to me that what is happening here, what he's talking about, is a real pissed-off fan base because the team underachieved, because this team was dreadful. It wasn't fun to root for. They had injuries all season. Their manager was an idiot, and then he goes away, and they're sparked briefly. But you had high-profile guys like Lucas Giolito underachieve. And I I don't suffer any pain because I I am not a good White Sox fan. I'm a, I'm a former White Sox fan. I was full-on baseball, full disclosure here, after the 0-5 World Series. I didn't need any more. That was, that was a lifetime of fulfillment for me as a White Sox fan. And Sox fans didn't want to hear this. I then said I'd rather see the Cubs get their first one in my lifetime and many lifetimes uh, before the Sox get another one. And that just pissed off Sox fans even more. But Sox fans, they they seemingly are, are happier when they're pissed off. And it's going to continue to be the case in sports, Yak. And uh, it, it's not going to get better for the Bears. It might for the short term. I think they will win this week. But when when I heard David Kaplan commenting on Justin Fields' remarks after the loss, and, you know, I, I like Cap. I think he's good at what he does. I, I think he, he sticks to the toy department very, very well. Uh, he's not going to run you over with his politics or, or virtue signaling or anything like that. He's going to give you sports. He's going to give it to you from the fan standpoint. But in doing so, I believe he was pandering when he started bitching about what Fields said. And he said, these Bears fans, no, they don't put in the work, but they're the ones who get up and put on the jerseys that they paid for with their jobs, with their hard-earned money. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, shaking my head, and I'm like, don't do it, Dave. Don't do it. Don't, don't play that card. You're going to tell me? that somebody who dropped 69.95 on a Matt Forte replica at Dick's Sporting Goods 15 years ago feels the same way these guys do it, it just it it brings out the worst and i'm i'm sure Steve Stone hears it from from people who replied to his comments on Twitter that's why he's sick of it because the fans get so ugly they turn on the broadcasters they turn on the players, the ownership, uh, and they turn on the opinion makers, too. They get very mad at those of us who have opinions, particularly if they're opposite ours. And I, I hear, or theirs is what I'm trying to say, uh, I, you know, I hear a host the other day, and I can't remember which one it was, kind of apologizing for how candid the conversation has been about the Bears because they care. And it's like, why are you qualifying it for five, the 5% of people out there listening, guesstimating, who think you're enjoying yourself because you're being critical? Screw them. You don't really need to address a 5% uh, of your audience. Just move along. If they're not smart enough to recognize your commentary is not personal, and I assumed it had not been, but in this case, 
there was uh, there was a host who felt the need to say we really want them to. I do believe they really do want their teams to win. It's good for business, if nothing else. And I make no, uh, you know, pretensions of, about teams that I'm not emotional about. I never had been. The best thing about the Bulls for me was it created interest in the audience when they were winning six titles in eight years in the 90s. I didn't give a shit about the Bulls. I really never did. But it was good for business, and I was happy to see other people happy. That's what hosts want. But when the teams are in the dumper, like all five of them are right now, and the Bulls, the only, you know, possible hope here get the news they got with Lonzo Ball needing an arthroscope on his knee uh debridement not debridement Danny um that's for Danny Parkins it just makes everybody so ugly and it makes and it it really wears on you as as a host and I don't envy these guys I don't have pity for them I'm not saying there's a lot harder jobs there's people who sweat every day there's people who are responsible for saving lives every day. This is not a difficult job, but emotionally, when you see all that negativity directed, not necessarily at you, often at you, but at at players, at management, at ownership, when it crosses that line and, and it's just constant, it's four hours a day, if you're consuming your audience's instant reactions to your content, whether it's via TikTok, or whatever chat room you might be on if you're just reading texts from the audience. And I always found that to be helpful to have text reaction with the audience. At ESPN Radio in Chicago, they don't have it. They had a team vote. Kaplan told me this a few weeks ago. There was a team vote. Do we want to give our number out as a text number so people could get to us via text? And then what happens is, especially the the lead host would designate one screen, one computer screen, just to text reaction. I always found it to be incredibly beneficial because listeners are giving you information on things you're talking about that you might be struggling. You might be thinking Tom Hanks movies and somebody forgets Charlie Wilson's war. What was that one he did with Philip Seymour Hoffman and the producers aren't listening because they don't care about what you're talking about and nobody and none of the hosts have the ability to real quickly go on IMDB and check it out. And you get a texter who fills in the blank. Oh, yeah, that was Charlie Wilson's War, a Mike Nichols film. Uh, so that's why. But, you know, it's so negative when the teams suck. And this is a huge pile of crap in Chicago right now. It's not getting any better anytime soon for any of them. Big picture wise. It's not getting better, but maybe it gets better for the Bears at least for three hours Sunday. They have an opportunity against Lovey Smith and the Houston Texans. The Bears are two and a half point favorites at Bet Rivers, where the total in the game is 40. We have Andrew Catalan and James Lofton providing the descriptions for us. And I don't know if I'm uh, pronouncing the name of the play-by-play man, Andrew Catalan, Catalan, C-A-T-A-L-A-N. I don't believe I've ever heard him do a broadcast. I had to Google him today. I know he went to Syracuse like most broadcasters who, you know, could afford Syracuse. Otherwise, they go to Ball State and you get just the same thing, except Bob Costas doesn't do a lecture there. Uh, I have no idea who they are, but at least he's not Tony Romo. At least we don't have to listen to Tony Romo at noon. 
we get to listen to Andrew Catalan and uh, the former great wide receiver James Lofton. I'm looking forward to uh, my first date with Mark Schlereth doing a Bears game because Schlereth quotes rounders. And is there anything more guy-friendly than quoting rounders from an NFL analyst? I think not. Lovey Smith comes back to town. Mr. Tampa 2, the 64-year-old head coach. Uh, the Bears are on their fourth coach since, and nobody has even flirted with the level of success Smith enjoyed in his nine years as the Bears head coach when he went 81-63. and 63. The Bears were 3-3 three and three in the playoffs under Smith's guidance. Those three wins, by the way, represent the only three postseason wins in the 23 years of Ted Phillips as the Bears' chief executive operator. Uh, so he's fired. Lovey goes to the Buccaneers after the Bears whack him following the 2012 season, fired after two seasons in Tampa, 8-24. and 24. And then an uneventful uh, run at the University of Illinois before getting this chance with the Texans, which didn't surprise me because Lovey Smith was a great defensive coach. And there are some places that still value defending the opposition. Obviously, the Texans were one because they pointed to him last offseason and said, you're the guy. You're going to be the guy. And I trust him eventually to make the Texans a reputable team because that's been his history. Great defenses, almost every one of those nine seasons with the Bears. It was a rough start, but in year three, they went to the Super Bowl under Lovey Smith. They're going to get that thing turned around, but there are some bear cupboards there, just as there are in Chicago. Neither team is very good against the run. Uh, it's a it's a small sample, a small sample size, as they say, just two games. But the Bears are dead last in rushing yards allowed, 379 rushing yards by the Bears defense. The Texans have allowed 326 rushing yards. That's the third most in the NFL. Again, it's just two games, but the early signs are David Montgomery should have a big day against that Houston defense. And you want to see Luke Getze show you that he will keep going to the well if it's working. Until they defend the jab. What was I talking about on Monday? Until they defend the jab, keep jabbing. Jab, 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 jab. And then sooner or later, you set up your uppercut or you set up your, your haymaker of a right cross. Montgomery has to be good. I think he will be. And then you let Justin Fields throw the football. Davis Mills, who's also in his second year, the Texans' third-round pick out of Stanford two years ago, last year, has thrown 75 passes in two games. Justin Fields, as you probably know, only has thrown 28. Mills has thrown for 417 yards to Justin Fields' 191. Mills has two touchdown passes. So does Fields. Mills does not have an interception. Fields has been intercepted five times. Yards per attempt, not much different. 5.6 yards per attempt for Davis Mills. Five even for Justin Fields. Their quarterback rating through two games, Mills has posted an 80.8. Fields comes in with a 69.2 rating. 
I believe Darnell Mooney will have more than two catches in this game Sunday. That's what he has through two weeks. Targeted only five times. This is a 1,000-yard receiver last year. Not that that's huge in a 17-game NFL season in the 21st century of stretch the defense and throw the damn ball, but targeted five times through two games, two catches for four yards. Cole Komet doesn't have a goddamn catch yet. He hasn't been targeted yet. He had 60 catches last year. This is what happens when you only throw the ball a, a dozen times. It's what happens when you only get 41 plays because your defense isn't stopping the run and you're getting your asses kicked in time of possession, as was the case, Bears and Packers. Where the Bears need to attack is the young corner, Derek Stingley. This kid came out of LSU with a huge reputation. He's a first-year player. I don't care if he's the third player chosen overall. Different animal. Darnell Mooney has to work Stingley, and that has to be a huge part of what Getze is talking to his team about this week, as it was for the Packers last week when they abused Kyler Gordon, the first-year Bears corner. Gordon made a terrific play first series of the game when he went up to defend a ball thrown at Alan Lazard in the end zone. That was that was on second down. The next play, Travis Gibson, one of two sacks on the night. He got Rodgers, and that forced the Packers to settle for a field goal. But the rest of the night was, was a tough one for Kyler Gordon. Um, Going to be watching how he does and whether he can make strides in this his third NFL game. But I think what the Bears have to do is attack, 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 a first-year player playing corner in the NFL. Darnell Mooney. Man, when you people who drafted Darnell Mooney in their fantasy leagues were thinking WR2. And right now, he is not even... If you start three receivers in your fantasy league, you're not even considering him to be one of them until this week, or after the first two weeks. Maybe you do because of that matchup, potentially, but that could be a reach, too. That could be me clutching at straws and trying to build optimism against Lovey Smith's defense. Rex is our quarterback. I don't do a very good Lovey Smith. Uh, Jay Cutler is down right now. I think that's my favorite Loveyism. That was the Giants game, I believe, wasn't it? When the Giants sacked Cutler nine times. Was it nine times in the first half? <laughs> he was wearing. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul's ass for a hat in that one. I'm picking the Bears minus the two and a half this week, by the way. I may not pick them the rest of the year. They may not be favored the rest of the year, but uh, I'm going to take them this week. Geez, this thing could be two to nothing at halftime. You could have an eight to five final. Um, Brandon Cooks, by the way, I failed to recognize Brandon Cooks. He's who I want to see go at it with Kyler Gordon when he's in the slot. Jalen Johnson, who did have a nice ball punch week one in the Bears win over the 49ers at Soldier Field. Uh, Brandon Cooks is going to be a threat. The Bears need to take him out of the game. And as I mentioned, you got to get David Montgomery going. I'm taking the Bears, and uh, I probably would be inclined to play the under if I were messing with the total, and that is at 40. 
I am glad. The one thing that's nice about James Lofton doing the analysis is I don't have to listen to Tony Romo. Not that I ever have to listen to Tony Romo. I always can demote that CBS game to one of the smaller monitors up in the corner and not have it on the big screen. I watch football in one of two rooms, and both of them have three TVs. Uh, you know, the same setup. The In the bedroom, there's a 46 in the middle, and there's two 23s, one on each side up above. Same setup in the basement, a 60, and I think two 26s. God, it was 16 years ago when I bought those bad boys. Prices are different now. Now I can get a 90-inch for the price I paid for those 16 years ago. But Tony Romo is doing Chiefs and Colts this week. And I always have have found it to be really provincial and childish to suggest broadcasters root against your team or root for another team. Anybody who, if Joe Buck is calling an NFL game, the team that's losing thinks he's rooting for the team that's winning the fan bases. That's how, that's how it is with Joe Buck. He gets excited for both teams. Kevin Harlan, uh, lesser known, same thing. Kevin gets excited. So people start thinking, man, he's a really a big Aaron Rodgers fan. And, and you know, why wouldn't you kiss Aaron Rodgers' ring if you're doing a Packers game and he's throwing for 350 yards, for crying out loud? Of course you're going to throw plaudits at him. He's a Hall of Famer. He's likely a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's one of the best who's ever done it on the run. And to elude people as he does and make magic happen while he's running and extending plays is something that's slurp-worthy. But I don't want to hear Tony Romo do Cowboys games anymore. He did the the Cowboys win over Cincinnati this past week. And it was early when he started throwing rose petals at the feet of Cooper Rush. On in relief of Dak Prescott, likely for the entire year for the Cowboys. And he started calling him the gunslinger. He referred to him... I think at least three times after first acknowledging the guy's style of play was to take chances and not be scared of throwing into tight windows. And he just starts calling him the gunslinger. Uh, That's reserved for guys who have done it and done it consistently. Isn't it? I mean, when you think, when you hear gunslinger and I know he's got problems bigger than what his nickname was, but Brett Favre comes to mind. Right, you, Brett Favre was a gunslinger. Brett Favre threw stupid balls, hoping for great results. Sometimes he got those great results, and sometimes they went for six points the other way. But I don't want to hear him do Cowboys. He gets too God blessed excited, and I got no problem with the guy. You know, still having a star in his heart for the team that you know he played for for all those years. I get that, but if you cannot be objective then sit out or learn how to be objective. It doesn't strike me that anybody at CBS, which is paying him $18 million a year, is willing to coach Tony Romo. They think America loves him. They love his enthusiasm, and I, I get that. But when the Cowboys are driving and he's coaching in the booth, it's painful. I just Let the picture tell the story. On on first and ten, and the ball now at midfield. We can, you know, you you don't have to be talking constantly about what's going on 
in the mind of the quarterback. It's like he's in a meeting room with with the quarterbacks or, or the wide receiver. He's constantly coaching in the booth. And he's more excited about it whenever the Cowboys are out there. When the Cowboys went down last year and they had a problem late in the game, couldn't get everybody up to the line of, to the line of scrimmage. Dak Prescott is waving his arms. They couldn't get the ball spiked, couldn't get it clocked. Romo was confused. He got all worked up in the excitement of a possible come-from-behind win. He lost track of, of the broadcast. He gets too excited during Cowboys games. And I always have had the criticism of Tony Romo. He never talks in-depth about any defenders in the league. He doesn't do any homework on defensive linemen. Uh, He often calls players only by their jersey number. But I noticed this with him in the the Cincinnati-Dallas game this past week. It struck me that he has a talking point for one player on each defense. And on the very first series of the game, Trey Hendrickson, who was a pretty good pass rusher last year and is known by most football fans, uh, Romo's like he unearths Trey Hendrickson. He goes, that's the guy they got to get get blocked today. That's 91 Hendrickson there. That's a guy you have to scheme against. It's like he goes into every week, okay, I have to check this box on Sunday. Fill in the blank is a guy you have to scheme against. And on the ensuing series, he said it about the Cowboys defensive lineman, Demarcus Lawrence. He said the same thing. That's the guy you have to be aware of on every play. And later on, he's starting to lick all over Micah Parsons. Uh, If you don't block Micah Parsons, he's going to make you. Yes, yes, you're right, Tony. Undeniably true. If you don't block Parsons, he will get to the quarterback and put him on his ass. We've seen this. Thank you for noticing those things. He doesn't ever give you anything in-depth about a player's development, why he was recruited, uh, why he slipped in the draft on defense. All he thinks about is offense, and he's too goddamn overcoachy for me. You know, Adam Archuleta is doing NFL games this year as an analyst. We probably will get him on a Bears broadcast sometime real soon down the road. Mark Sanchez is at an NFL stadium every week. Ooh, the excitement this league has to offer is just unending. Good one this weekend with the Buccaneers hosting the Packers. Man, where do you go on that one? There are so many of these games this week. When I look at the spreads, I just tremble. I I, I can't pick so many of these. And I won a little bit more than I lost last week. I came back a little bit. I was helped by the Eagles on Monday night. The Buccaneers are two-point favorites over Green Bay in Tampa. And the Buccaneers really haven't gotten going yet. And they're beating people. And they're at home. And Tom Brady has had a little bit more time to work with his crew, a crew that is also getting used to a new offensive line because of injuries. Some guys who are not starters have been asked to play, in in one case, the entire route. Uh, the center, Jensen, the redhead, uh, I sound like Tony Romo, uh, I, he's out for the year. But uh, 
I just I can't bet against Tom Brady at home. As much as I want to say I trust the Packers, they got some things straightened out. I I can see Leonard Fournette doing a David Montgomery and dancing dancing on the Green Bay defense. So I cannot trust the Packers in this one. But uh, that's going to be a hell of a game. Tom Brady against Aaron Rodgers. Those are uh, those are two of the all time greats. That is the greatest who's ever played team sports in Tom Brady, and that's high praise because Wayne Gretzky for a long, long time has been the guy at the top of that list for me. I also am looking forward to the Bills and Dolphins. The Bills are minus five and a half right now at Bet Rivers. The total is fifty two and a half. Are the Bills as good as they appeared to be? In weeks one and two, especially this past Monday night when they just thrashed the Titans in every way. Matt Milano with a defensive touchdown. They made plays on special teams. Stephon Diggs looks awesome. But the Bills still don't have a running game other than their MVP candidate quarterback. Maybe he'll survive all 17 weeks in the postseason and the Bills will just cruise to the championship, but I doubt it. I still like them laying five and a half in Miami. And it's going to be brutally hot. And that that plays an effect on teams that aren't used to that heat. But I still think Miami, I need to see more than their 28-point fourth quarter last week against Baltimore. That was an amazing finish to a Taglia Viola with his six touchdowns and 460 some passing yards has arrived Tua arrived last week. But I also remember how the dolphins got to that deficit. And it was because Lamar Jackson kicked the snot out of them, throwing the ball and running the ball. And I think Josh Allen is going to do the same thing. I like the Bills, minus five and a half. And I'm going to find Mark Schlereth this week. I need a rounder's fix. I believe uh, the former Broncos lineman who goes by the nickname of Stink is doing the Eagles in Commanders. The Eagles are six and a half point favorites, and the total is 47 and a half. I want to play the Commanders because my friend Ron Rivera is their head coach. But I need more of a reason than that to go against a Philly team that looks pretty damn good right now. And Jalen Hurts was really damn good in the second game this past Monday night. I think I'll go place a show there. There's an 0-2 team that had best get its act together this week, and that's the Bengals, the defending AFC champions who have not protected Joe Burrow. He's been sacked 13 times in two weeks. And the Jets will come after him. And the Jets have Joe Flacco. He threw for four touchdowns in 300-plus yards last week. Joey Flacco is back-o, maybe. God, the Bengals got to win that game. Colts got to win this week. Are they going to against Kansas City? Darius Shaq Leonard should be back. Number 53, in case you're listening, Tony Romo. Shaq Leonard. I'm Dan McNeil. Thank you so very much for listening. I will be back Monday with assessments of the Bears and Texans and all things NFL. 
My executive producer for the Danny Mac podcast is the former Highland Trojan. Hell, don't say former. Once you're a Highland Trojan, you're always a Highland Trojan. He's Sam Michael. And Adam Delavitt takes care of business for us at Bet Rivers. Have a great third weekend of NFL activity. Enjoy the Browns and Steelers tonight. I'm Dan McNeil. And for now, I'm Taillights.